a challenge for a callous church. A challenge for a callous church. I'm ashamed to admit it, and I know that it's not really being a good steward of what God has given to me, but I am not a huge fan of coins, of change, of carrying coins in my pocket. Right? I don't, I don't know if anybody is like me, but when I go to the store and they give me four pennies back, I'd rather just leave those pennies than take up valuable space in my pockets. Now, while I'm not a fan of change, my wife is the exact opposite. She, she sees the value in each and every coin. If you would have went to our house when we stayed in Florida and you opened the drawer that was underneath of the microwave, you would have seen a large bag filled with coins. Because my wife valued every single coin, including pennies, every time she would do my laundry or she'd clean up the house, she would look for those coins that she knew would be laying around. And she would save them and she would put them into this bag. This is the theme of Luke chapter 15, that when something of value is lost, there's a seeking, there's a saving, and then there's a celebration for its return. Luke chapter 15 is a compilation of three separate stories told by Jesus in response to the Pharisees. The response that he was given was because of the, the terrible notion that Jesus embraces sinners. Last week, we saw Jesus' first response to these Pharisees through the story of the lost shepherd. As we look at that story, we saw the shepherd's heart for his lost sheep. We saw that, that Jesus is a good shepherd that seeks and saves. In our text this morning, I want us to look at the second response that Jesus gives to this accusation. It's going to be the story of the lost coin. In this story of the lost coin, it's three small verses, but full of so much truth. And once again, just like the story of the lost sheep, we're going to see a pattern of lost, sought, and found. Just as with the story of the lost sheep, Jesus tells this story as a rhetorical question. He begins with a rhetorical question towards the Pharisees. With this rhetorical question, he's expecting a certain answer. So he asks the Pharisees, he says, if a woman has ten pieces of silver, and she loses one piece of silver, would she not do all that she can to find that piece of silver? And the answer that Jesus is expecting all of us to answer is, of course she would. Of course if she lost one out of ten pieces of silver, she would do all she could to find it. As we look at this story, and we see this woman searching for her coin, I want us to notice that she lights a lamp, and she grabs a broom. Read with me, uh, starting in verse 8, Luke chapter 15, verse 8. The Bible says, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one, does not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner 
that repent. So this woman has lost a piece of silver. In order to find this piece of silver, the Bible tells us that she lights a lamp and she grabs a broom. You know, I know it's easy to lose change in our homes today, but during these days, it would have been even harder to find this change because the way these houses were constructed was that they were made of, of, dirt, of dirt bricks, right? So they were simple homes constructed of dirt bricks, and there was usually very small, if any, windows in these homes. So even during the day, this house would have been dark. Not only would the house have been dark, but the floors would have been very simple dirt floors, which would have had cracks in them, and there would have been straw and reeds that may have been thrown over top of the floor. So finding a coin would have been much like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So by lighting a lamp and grabbing her broom, what she's hoping is that the flame of this lamp is going to flood out the darkness of the house, that the light would illuminate the room, and that as she takes that broom and the, and, the, and the room is illuminated, that she's going to sweep the dirt and the debris in order to expose her lost coin. This wasn't just any lost coin. It wasn't like she had lost Opinion. This was something that was of extreme value to this woman. The text tells us that, that, that this coin that was lost was a Greek drachma. This was a coin that would have been equal to an entire day's wage. And during these days, for a poor servant woman, a full day's wage would have been a significant loss. And in this text, really what Jesus is doing, he's just, he's just once again emphasizing the value of that which was lost. Last week we saw that one out of 100 sheep was lost, that the shepherd lost 1% of his flock. And then today we see that one out of 10 was lost. That's a 1,000% increase in the value of what's been lost. So she loses it, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the floor, she searches carefully, and she finds it. And then what she do when she finds it? The same thing the shepherd did when he found his lost sheep, she has a party. She celebrates and that which was lost was once again found. And what Jesus did, he just reiterated the same truth that he did in the story of the lost sheep, that just as the woman celebrates her lost coin being found, God celebrates his lost children being found and restored for his glory. So for those of us that were here last week, you can already see that there's a lot of principles and truths from this text that are really the same as what we looked at last week. So rather than just re-preaching the same message to you, I'd like us to look at this, at this text and view it in a fresh light. So while we often separate the three stories told in Luke chapter 15 into three separate parables, what I want us to do is, rather than doing it as three separate stories, I want us to look at Jesus' response as one story told in three parts. I don't believe that Jesus gave these stories to be read independently of one another. But as you look, as you start at the beginning of Luke chapter 15 and you read to the very end, you can see a natural progression of each story upon the next. Jesus is, is what he's, he's telling one story in three parts. There's one narrative with one main idea. The main idea that we've seen is that God receives and rejoices over repentant sinners. So that is the main idea of Luke chapter 15, and these are three stories told as one parable. I believe what we have here is a parable 
of salvation told in three parts. And what I want you to see here today is something that, that really helped this text come alive for me. It's something that I have never seen before until I started my study this weekend. And what I'd like to suggest to us here this morning is that through these three stories, Jesus reveals to us the work of the Trinity and salvation. The Trinity, God is Father, God is Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Now before I lose you, just, just hang in here, but just, just, just think about it, okay? So in the first story, we see Christ, God the Son, as the redeeming, self-sacrificing shepherd who came to seek and to save and who bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders. In the second story, which we're looking at today, we see the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit restoring lost souls from darkness. And then in the story of the lost son, which we'll look at in the weeks to come, we see God the Father receiving the son that has came back to him. What Jesus is showing us is that in man's salvation, the son rescues, the spirit restores, and the father receives. Listen, the story that, that, that we just read, the story of the woman losing her coin, recognize that the coin was ignorant of being lost. This coin, unlike the sheep, unlike the sun that we'll see later, is an inanimate, lifeless object. This coin lays in darkness, it lays in the dirt, unaware of its need to be found. This coin is unaware of its value and purpose. This coin has no idea that it was lost and in need of saving. The same goes for the poor lost soul. Born in darkness and dead in sin, the sinner is unconscious of his state and condition of being lost. This is what we call the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity is the idea that because of Adam's sin. Because of Adam, we are all sinners. We're all born sinners. We've inherited that sin. And because of that sin, in man's fallen and sinful state, we are totally unable by our own will to choose to follow God. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, he says, no man can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Because we are spiritually dead, there's nothing in us that naturally wants to go towards Jesus. But it's the Father that draws every man unto himself. The natural, the natural man has no ability and no desire to have a relationship with God. Because his heart is hard and his mind is darkened. But listen, while we are lost in darkness... We may be helpless, but we are not hopeless. Because God draws all men to him through the working of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want us to see here today. As we look at this message, I want us to see the working of the Holy Spirit, the drawing of the Spirit that reconciles us back into that right relationship with God. Listen, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that man can come to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the illuminating light. He is the lamp filled with oil that floods the darkness 
of our hearts and convince us of our sinful state and need for a Savior. For a sinner to become convinced of Christ's salvation, the, the, the Holy Spirit first has to convict him of his sin. He has, to, he has to know that he needs to be rescued. You can't be rescued if you don't know that, that you're in danger, right? So until we become aware of the guilt that our sin places on us before God, we will never accept the free gift of salvation that he gives to us. So that, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit exposes, he illuminates, he lights and shows us the sin in our lives and the darkness that we are lost in. Until sin becomes bitter, Christ can never be sweet. After recognizing that our sin makes us guilty, after the Spirit has started that work within the lost souls, showing us the guilt of our sin places upon us, the Spirit then awakens in us a previously unknown interest in spiritual things and creates a desire that was never there before. Suddenly, our ears are open, our hearts are inclined toward God, and His Word begins to hold a new fascination for us. Listen, our spirit begins to discern spiritual truth that never made sense to us before. It's then through the Word of God and the conviction of our sin that the Spirit empowers us to respond to the gospel message, calling on the name of Christ, repenting of our sin, and being given new life. See, this story of the lost coin is a coin that we can very easily and very often skip over because, like I said, it reiterates what we've already seen. It's three measly verses, so it's easy to skip past it. But I believe the story of the lost coin is perfectly placed right where it is. The work of the Spirit follows the work of Christ. First the Son rescues, then the Spirit restores, and then the Father receives. Listen, the Holy Spirit applies to the believer the salvation which has been accomplished by Christ for the lost soul. So as we look at this text, this is the truth that I want us to grab a hold of. As we look at this text, and we look at verses 8 to 10, grab hold of this truth. Just as the woman lit a lamp to remove the darkness and swept the debris that covered her coveted coin, the Spirit of God illuminates and exposes the sin and depravity of our lives. And he uses his living word, the scriptures, to sweep away the debris and dirt of our self-righteousness, of our perceived goodness, of anything that would keep us from accepting and trusting in Christ alone. The Spirit then restores the precious soul, lost in darkness, and covered in dirt. So as you read through Luke 15, this is the truth that I want us to see. As, as, as we look through Luke 15 in our personal time, I want us to, to be amazed at the work of the Trinity and our salvation. As we read about the lost coin, I want us to be reminded that of the restorative work that the Holy Spirit did in our lives. That I want us to be reminded of that when we were in sin, the Holy Spirit convicted us of that and showed us a better way. Be reminded that Jesus seeks and saves 
That was lost, and that because of the restored work of the Spirit, that we've been able to be reconciled to a holy God. Amen. But not only do I want us to look at this scripture for, for mere information, scripture is given to us for our transformation. So as we look at this text, as we see the work of the Holy Spirit and our salvation, as we see the, the, the metaphor that Jesus gives of the woman to the Spirit, what does that mean for us today? I believe that the application for us from this text is at least twofold. First, we should be thankful for God's care in searching us out and bringing us to himself. Listen, remember, recognize that you are valuable to God just as this coin was valuable to this woman, just as the sheep was valuable to the shepherd. You are valuable to God. Look, the coin would have been stamped with the image of its creator. The coin would have been stamped with the emperor of Rome. And in the same way, we are stamped with the image of our creator. Listen, we are made in the image of God for his glory. So if he made us in his image, why would he not search us out? Where would we be if it wasn't for the love of God? Amen. Just think about that question. Where would I be if it wasn't for a seeking Savior? Where would I be if Jesus was not willing to leave the 99 and come to the one? Where would I be? Where would I be if it wasn't for the finished work of Christ? If it wasn't for a merry way of all of my sin on himself? Where would I be if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit bringing restorative work in my life and showing me the, the, the badness of my sin and showing me that Jesus made a way for me? To be back to the Father. Where would I be if even after all of that, the Father didn't welcome me with open arms? The Father wasn't willing to say, no matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, that I'm welcome back home. Where would we be? Listen, this is a reminder to us that God loves you. Such a simple truth, it's so powerful. God loves you. And then, second, as we look at this text, I believe there's a challenge for those of us who are his servants, for those of us who have been redeemed and have been restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we should take the same kind of care in seeking out lost sinners that Jesus did. While the Spirit, the work of the Spirit is like the lamp and the broom in the text, exposing that which is lost. The church, the bride of Christ, is like the woman searching for that which is lost. Listen, I mean, how humbling is it to know that God has chosen us as vessels, as, as his preference to tell people about him. Yes, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit works primarily through his word, and through believers. The title for today's message is a challenge to a callous church. And listen, before you get upset with me and say, man, that's kind of harsh, I want you to know this challenge for me. That before I bring this challenge to you, God has done a work in my own heart. That God has convicted me of my own apathy towards sinners. That I need this reminder 
just as much as anybody else in here. You see, to be callous is to have an insensitive or cruel disregard for others. As we look at verses 1 and 2 and we look at the whole scripture, this was the posture that the Pharisees had. They had a cruel and insensitive disregard for others. That is why they were upset that Jesus embraced and ate with sinners. But while it's easy to point fingers at the Pharisees, sadly, many of us, including myself, are just as guilty as they are. Because listen, there's nothing more callous there's nothing more cruel, nothing more excuse me, nothing more insensitive than for a person who has been transformed and redeemed, a person who was once in darkness that has been found by the power of the gospel to not share that same life-saving truth with others. For a person to not seek after precious souls that occupied the helpless space in which we once did. Listen, the Christian today, empowered by the Holy Spirit, should be as passionate about seeking after all souls as a shepherd was about seeking his sheep, and as this woman was about seeking her lost coin. Listen, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer, doesn't it make sense that we should be testifying to Jesus? Yes. A couple, I guess it was probably about a month ago now, Pastor Mike Bannon came and preached a revival for us. And during that revival, he made a statement which I agree 100% with. He said that as pastors, as preachers, we shouldn't have to give evangelism pet talks during church. That... This should be the natural overflow of the person that's been redeemed. The natural overflow of a person who's been rescued by Christ should be to tell others about him. Amen. And while I believe that's true and that would be awesome if that was the case, I know that often we still need to be challenged and reminded of our duty as Christians, of our duty to evangelize and to share our faith. You know, when we don't evangelize, I believe that at the root, you know, we have a lot of excuses, but I believe that at the root of our lack of sharing our faith, of our lack of obedience, is the truth, the hard truth that we really got to ask ourselves, is the truth that lost souls are not as important to us as they are to Jesus. As I was doing my study this week, I was confronted by the passage in Luke chapter 16, just a chapter after this passage. Right, so I'm going to flip over there real quick. You can flip with me if you want. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story of a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. And in the story, the rich man ends up passing away and going to hell. And Lazarus, this beggar, passes away and goes to paradise in Abraham's Bosom. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 27 with me. I'll read verse 27 and verse 28 real quick. This is the middle of the story that Jesus is telling. So the rich man has gone to hell, the beggar has gone to paradise. Verse 27 says, Then he said, speaking of the rich man who's in hell, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, 
that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Listen, tormented by the flames and the pits of hell. This rich man from hell prays that somebody would tell his brothers about the good news of the gospel. In hell, this man had a burden that his brothers would not end up in the exact same place that he was at. And God really confronted me with this, this text because, because I had to ask myself here today, are people in hell more concerned about lost souls than I am? Are people in hell praying for lost souls more than I am? How sad. How sad of reality that is. You know, while we saw last week that the sheep was lost because of his foolishness, it was because of his own wandering away. The coin, remember, it's an inanimate, lifeless object. The coin was lost because of the carelessness of another. It's a sobering thought, at least to me, to know that my carelessness could result in a soul being lost. Now, I've already said that somebody somewhere is depending on you to do what God has called you to do. You know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Remember, this is, this is a, a, a passion that comes from an overflow of a life changed by God. I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but what I do pray is that this awakens it is that, that we see the glorious message of the gospel and we are having passionate desire and burning in our hearts to share that love of Christ with others. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said, It has been the curse of Christendom that she has ventured to delegate her sacred duties to men called priests, or that she has set apart certain persons to be called the religious, who do the works of mercy and charity and of evangelization. We are, every one of us, who are Christ, bound to do our own share. Nay, we should deem it a privilege of which we will not be deprived personally to serve God, personally to sweep the house and search after the lost spiritual treasures. He says the church herself and the power of the indwelling spirit of God must seek lost souls. Amen. Amen. Man, this is a challenge for a church. Like I said, that's, that's my purpose of being under this morning. I'm not trying to guilt. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. But I want to challenge us to move forward. I want to challenge us to be a church that values lost souls. A church that when we're out in the battle, we tell people about Christ. I've heard it said that all that we are are beggars telling other beggars where there's bread. That's all it is. Listen, my life has been changed by Jesus. Let me tell you how yours can be too. So we've all got to take a personal stake in sharing the gospel. It's not just the evangelist's job. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just my Sunday school teacher's job. It's the task of every single believer. And I know, I get it. I know there's some people in here that are arguing with me in their head. And I've been there. I've done it myself. Right? I don't have a gift of evangelism. I don't know what to say. You know, I just, I just show people Christ by the way I live. I don't have to tell them about him. 
You know, we come up with all these excuses and these thoughts and try to justify why we can and don't really have to share Christ with others. But I believe that if we truly see people as valuable as Jesus does, if we see people as valued by God, as precious souls that are lost, but that are separated from him due to sin, and that are destined for hell. I believe that if we truly understood that truth, we wouldn't be so scared to offend. We wouldn't be so scared to be rejected. We wouldn't be so scared to feel like we're pushing our beliefs on other people. We wouldn't be scared that, oh, they're going to look at me like I'm weird, like I'm different. No, we wouldn't be able to keep our mouth closed, because we wouldn't want those people that Jesus sees as valuable to remain hidden in darkness. Richard Baxter, he's an English pastor from the 1800s, he says, we are so reluctant to displease men and so desirous to keep in credit and favor with them that it makes us most unconsciously neglect our own duty. Listen, he says, a foolish position he is and a most unfaithful friend that will let a sick man die for fear of troubling him. And cruel wretches are we to our friends that will rather suffer them to go quietly to hell than we will to anger them or hazard our reputation with them. And what, a, what a solid truth that is. You know, and well, I know that we come up with so many excuses to be so afraid to share our faith. Can I tell you what the cool thing about evangelism is? You know, with, the, with, with, with the, the part that makes it a lot easier when you truly start to understand it. The cool thing is that we're not responsible for somebody's response to the gospel. We're just responsible for telling them of it. Listen, we don't have to be afraid of rejection because they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. Our job is not to save people. Our job is to tell people about the one who saves. Yes. You know, there's no better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if we would just allow the Spirit to use us, if we would just allow the Spirit to empower us, we might actually see a mighty work done for the cause of Christ. Yes. Something else the Lord has challenged me with this week is that maybe some of you are like me and, you know, you want to be evangelistic, I'm an evangelistic fervor, and you pray. You know, I, I'll get up in the morning and I'll pray and say, Lord, bring somebody by the day that I can share my faith with, you know. Open up an opportunity for me to share my faith. And, you know, I think at times this prayer can be a cop-out and a facade because we go through the whole day, we have to share our faith with nobody. Say, well, God, I pray that you would bring somebody by me and see if I know conversations open. So I just didn't share my faith today. I think a better prayer would be, Lord, give me the boldness to tell others about you. Because you come across people every single day. You can't tell me unless you work at home and, and never leave the house. You cannot tell me that nobody came across you today that you can say, Jesus loves you. And you could take a track and answer and say, hey, would you read this for me? Rather than praying for opportunities to witness, 
Let's pray for the boldness to witness. We have opportunities all around us. We have opportunities at work. We have opportunities when we go out to eat. We have opportunities when we're out shopping. There's people around us that are dead and they're sin and going to hell. There's plenty of opportunities. I read a story about at one of D.O. Moody's meetings, after he had done preaching, a fire truck engineer came up to him and said, you know, I feel like God has called me to be a missionary to a foreign country. And he said that D.O. Moody asked this, 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 this engineer, this fire truck driver, he says, well, um, are the fire engineers work with the Christians? He says, well, I don't know, I've never really asked them. D.O. Moody looks at him and says, well, why don't you start with them? You know, we look at this text. This lady lost her coin in the house. Maybe for some of us, that's where we need to start. You know, we get so, um, it's good. It's good to have a firm for our community. It's good to have a desire for those people that are out um, in the world. But sometimes we can be so concerned about our community that we neglect our own home. We neglect those that we are in community with every single day. You know, the sheep was lost in the wilderness, the sun went to the far country. This coin was lost in the house. You know, I'm sure, I know I have people in my family, I know I'm sure everybody in here can think of somebody in their head that is in their family that's lost. Maybe there's even somebody within your own household that you're just not sure that they truly grasp the life-changing power of the gospel. If I say, you know, maybe there's that one person that needs to see and hear the gospel from you. And I say see and hear because faith comes by hearing, right? Hearing by the word of God. But a lot of times, our evangelism, our share of Christ, also has to do with the way that we live. You know, I'm not going to take um, diet or exercise advice from a man who weighs 600 pounds. You know, I believe that some of us, we maybe we're a stumbling block, brothers, to come to Christ. You know, just reflect on your own life, just think about, you know, is, is, am I above reproach? Is my life showing something different. Maybe there's somebody in your house that hasn't come to faith because when they see you, they claim that you be that they see that you claim to be a Christian, they look at you, yet you're miserable. You say that you're a Christian, you say your life has been transformed and changed, yet you grumble all the time, you complain all the time. You're always angry, maybe you're abusive. When they look at your life, there's nothing compelling about it that says, man, I want what my mom has. I want what my dad has. You know, your life preaches more loudly than your lips do. You know, and if you're struggling to find the motivation to tell people about Jesus, be motivated by the remarkable, my words, I can't even fathom the idea that you can play a part in bringing joy to God. This is what he tells us 
in verse 10. In verse 10, it ends in verse 11. In verse 10, he says that there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner that repents. In verse 7, he says, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than 99 just persons which need no repentance. Listen, if not only should seeing people saved bring joy to God, but seeing people saved in life change should bring joy to us. That should be motivation for us. That, 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 that we can play a part in seeing somebody come from the darkness to the light. Oh, what a privilege that is. Evangelism should not be a chore. It should be a joy. It should not be something we look at and we dread to do. It should be something that we're excited to do. Something that we can't keep from coming out of us. If you see sharing your faith as merely a legalistic duty, if you say, well, God says I've got to do it, so I'm going to do it, and there's no joy, there's no excitement behind sharing your faith, you'll never be motivated to do it. Amen. I've been there. Where I didn't have the joy of the Lord, and I know it's going to be sharing my faith with people, but there's not joy in me. What am I supposed to share with other people? No, it's because of that overflowing joy and love and compassion that flows out of me that then I can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. You know, in television and movies, they have previews of coming attractions, right? The previews for the movies or the shows that are coming up. These previews are always the hot clips of the upcoming show. You've got the fight scene, you've got the love scene, you've got the chase scene. You know, it might be an absolutely terrible movie, but you would never know by the previews. You would never know how bad the movie is because of the hot clips. One day, there's a blockbuster show that's coming to town. God's the producer, the Holy Spirit's the director, and Jesus is the superstar. It's going to be a worldwide production. It's going to be called the Kingdom of God. In the meantime, he's left us here as previews, as hot clips for the coming attraction. People are supposed to see our marriages. They're supposed to see our children. They're supposed to see our lives. And say, I want peace. I want a ticket to that upcoming show. Of course, that's what we can tell them. The price has already been paid. Every head bowed, eye closed.